everybody. Welcome to the Wolverine 24-7 podcast, your audio source for all things Michigan football, basketball, recruiting, and everything else. You can find all of our written stories at themichiganinsider.com, 247sports.com slash Michigan. I'm your host, Zach Shaw. As always, Steve Lorenz on the line. We obviously write more than we podcast, but we try to meet up once every week, talk about an hour about the latest things in Michigan uh, football, basketball, and recruiting. So here we go. This show, not going to be too much football. We went through every position group and talked about who was sticking out either on or off the record in spring practice so far. They're about to wrap up spring practice. So either next week or in two weeks, we'll talk, we'll revisit football. Obviously, that's our, you know, that's something we're going to talk about all summer, but we will talk football recruiting uh, in the middle of this show. We have one question sort of related to football, and then we have five biggest off-season questions for Michigan basketball at the tail end of the show. You'll want to stick around for that. That will also be a story that will come out in the coming days. But anyway, let's get started. We try to field questions. Uh, Obviously, we got a couple of questions about a certain player. I don't think it would be ethical for us to say their name because it is not confirmed that the Twitter account belongs to them. But, Steve, this is a player who has sent threatening tweets uh, toward reporters uh, in general, toward uh, Michigan coach Jim Harbaugh. And it's one of those things. Now the police are investigating it. I know Ward Manuel said that everyone in the athletic department's aware of what's going on. They're monitoring it. They're they're obviously concerned for the safety of themselves and uh, the player. If if this is indeed him sending these things and Steve, this player, uh, Michigan did confirm this week that he left the team in November, which I believe we had reported. Uh, but you you were telling me before the show. Uh, this this was when he left the team. It was not a you know truly mutual decision. We're not going to spend too much time talking about it. But any anything you can add to what is publicly out there about the story? No, not really. Uh, yeah, disgruntled former player for whatever reason. Uh, sad situation in my yeah. opinion in a lot of different ways. But um, you know, as far as like inside you know there's nobody on the michigan side of things is ever gonna leak or give out any information this is not the stuff that you you give your scoops to right yeah (laughs) so um i assume this will be resolved in some capacity uh you can't i mean you can't stop somebody from tweeting if like you said if this is definitely his account um but you know, I expect some kind of resolution in some capacity, I would think. Uh, but I do know, yeah, it's it's being looked into. It was it was looked into and was the staff and, and the athletic department was aware of this before the news really broke about it or before the one string of, uh, say, the one especially bad string of tweets that popped right. up the other night. So, yeah, Monday night. Uh, yeah, it's been on the radar, I think, for a little while. So, uh you know, again, it's kind of random, kind of crazy, but, you know, it's, it is what it is. And, yeah, there's no inside, like, type detail there. We're never going to get that type of thing. So. No, yeah. Well, no, yeah, we, should we? we got None a couple questions. Opinion. Obviously, not too much we can really add. I mean, I, you know, I know fans often kind of want the juicier details or the, the real inside. This is not one where they were sharing the juicier details or the real inside, but... Over at 24-7, we are fortunate. We get a uh, little bit of inside intel and scoops on on other things. Switching gears, that was my attempt at a segue. But Rick Moody uh, asked, a, 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 I like this question, 
Uh, more so, I'm just curious about Steve's perspective on this, but he says, do you believe in spring practice slash fall camp hype? Are coaches just trying to motivate players with these statements or and leaks? Uh, you know, who are who are some of the names that panned out and others that did not? I know I know one that did pan out, uh, Steve, and this was right around uh, maybe about a month or so after I joined the staff. But, you know, we heard a lot of really big things about Chris Evans in fall camp, and that was one where it was like, all of a sudden, he's getting major carries and, and getting pretty high snap counts as a as a freshman on a seemingly, you know, set running back rotation. But we talked about last week, we, we mentioned all the positions and, and who's standing out at each position. So if you missed it, go check it out. But Steve, what's your protocol in getting some of these scoops? I know you've had a couple this week, Inside Intel, such and such ste- stepping up, or this is something that Michigan is doing better than it was last season. What's your protocol in in attaining that information? Obviously whatever you want to tell us and then and then also what you report versus what you maybe filter out and say this this might just be blowing smoke. Right. I mean my biggest thing is uh I mean you you obviously you drop some lines, see who bites, see what they have to say. Um I'm more careful, I think, than most. I don't know. I mean, and I say that I don't mean that as if others are maliciously reporting things that might not be true. That's not what I'm saying. It's just I, I try to like maybe listen to if if say I, say, let's just say I drop ten lines. I'm not saying I drop that many, but let's just say I drop ten. Say four answer. Say three. Give me the same name, in some capacity. To me, that's usually a good indication that that guy's at least impressing, right? And that's kind of the way I've always kind of gone about it. Um, you know, whether it's – I don't know as far as, like, is there a reasoning behind it, stuff like – like, no, I mean, it's it's possible that a guy could be having a great spring practice and then doesn't turn into a stud in the fall. I mean, it's more than conceivable. Yeah. Uh, you know, I always kind of lean more towards trying to report fall camp type stuff that's more significant um, okay big big time i mean because you're right because it's you're closer to the season and a guy who maybe struggled in the spring may have said hey you know i gotta kick it in gear here in the summer and the fall otherwise i'm gonna be on the bench all year you know type thing so um as far as like those that work that worked out and 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 some that don't uh I mean, I don't know. I mean, we obviously Michael Dwumfor will be a good litmus test uh, yeah. for whether or not, because that's been pretty much universal uh, that he's had a great spring. Um, same would probably go, you know, we always heard a lot of great things about Hudson early on. Um, Hudson, a lot like Evans, in my opinion, was a guy that I'd be more, was would be more surprised. Kalik, right? Didn't, yeah, okay. he didn't. Okay. Sorry, I forgot, I forgot about James. Who again? Maybe another litmus test a little bit, not to the extent of Dwumfor, but also a guy that we've kind of heard a lot of good things about. So Ambry Thomas, a good litmus test this fall, uh, based on what we've heard so far this Question, spring. Question: Do you put yeah. more stock into a player because one guy last year that I think we heard in spring camp? You know, people were really excited about Caesar Ruiz, but we heard uh, Patrick Kugler was suddenly suddenly rising. Do you put more stock into someone if they're further along into their career? Or is it more of something where you're looking at freshmen who are standing out as kind of the surprise? Because, you know, 
someone like let's say we hear a, a bajillion things about uh not not to pick on him but like a Lawrence Marshall or a Brian Monet. I think we heard good things last year. Those are two that didn't di- it didn't quite translate into on-field success like you know when when you hear from about up, upperclassmen do you almost temper your expectations cuz you know they can't you know they're they're not going to vary that wildly from year to year or or do you put more stock into that because you actually have heard different things each year about them, and this time it's it's different that they're ascending. I think it's a it's always a case by case type basis. Um, you know, I pegged Ruiz as a four year starter. I think we talked about this a few times before he even verbally committed to Michigan. Could still uh, be right, technically. He was, yeah, he was a huge <laughs> Michigan lean. Uh, was highly refined prospect. So to hear him early on, you know, it's one of those things where it's like it. When some when they you say Kugler, yeah, great example. Like to hear that he's rising, I think sometimes people take that and think, oh, he's going to be a star this year, or that he's going to take this huge leap. Where really, a lot of times you hear rising, I just kind of simply translate that into they're just rising up the depth chart, mm-hmm. uh, and that they might be the best option. Uh, as far as like upperclassmen versus lower, uh, the younger guys, it, it depends. I mean, I'd say it's tempting to publish or to want to discuss more of the younger guys who might be standing out because I think they'll bring more of a wow factor. You know, like if I was to report, let's say, well, the Joe Milton stuff, although again, Milton is a guy, multiple, you know, I had a great report on Joe Milton uh, last week about how he's shown up and he belongs. Um, But it's, it's still a case by case basis when you're going upper class versus lower classmen because like i said it's tempting to want to publish more about the younger guys because like i said you know big hot shot recruit take like i'm just looking at the roster right now just take like chuck filiaga for instance like Mm -hmm. here's something good about chuck filiaga it's tempting to want to just run with it because it's like oh well people will respond greatly if you know they know that chuck filiaga is coming along great but yeah um you know what i mean so but here's the other thing too you know, people like talk about well, it's always positive and it's not, and it's never negative and stuff like that. Well, one, you're never going to, I wouldn't <laughs> say never, but very, very rarely are you going to get an, a negative. Like it's dumb to even pose the question or to drop a line out there saying, hey, who stinks so far this spring? <laughs> well, it's the you same know, way in press got... conferences. I mean, this whole, it's the, is, this is where the do more, say less crowd gets right. on our nerves because it's like, you know, Jim McElwain's talking about how he feels like the receivers are doing a better job getting off the line. Well, what's he going to say? No, I right. think they're going to be the worst receiving core in the Big Ten again. Like, right. you know, they're obviously going to say, and that's just like human nature. Like, no one's going to be like, hey, Steve, what really, you know, sucked about your day today? Right. You know, if, yeah. you're, if you're like, right. an, if you're working a nine to five, it's going to be like, oh, well, you know, how, you know, if you ask, if you're at like a family reunion and people are like, oh, how's, how's work going? You don't say, well, this part sucks, this part sucks, this part sucks. No, you say some of the highlights, unless you're right. a real, you know, <laughs> Debbie Downer kind of person. It's like, but it's like it's like a lot of people. It's like Facebook accounts where they're just the highlights of people's lives. You don't really know who they are if you just go on their Facebook account. Not going on a weird tangent here, but you know what I mean, though. Like people only post like they want pe- other people to know about the good things that are going on and not the bad thing. Right. So you always think, so that's it. It paints like a rosier picture than maybe what it really is. Um, you know, so, but kind of getting back to the, um, uh, how would we say it? The hype 
and and kind of how we go about how I go about pushing it or not. Uh, it's it's really mostly about whether a guy's going to have a shot for one and two. I just try to look for a name that pops up common. And 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 again, the one thing I would tell people out there is listen to the coaches, listen to Don Brown. Like he's just straight up about it. And like mm-hmm. I, I and, and I say this as as you know we we write for a site that sells subscriptions, and obviously we want to sell subscriptions. Um, you know. I I appreciate I say that appreciating Brown's approach more than having to actually try to dig, um, you know, and and get stuff that maybe isn't out there publicly, you know, because it's just it makes it a lot easier for everybody, including us. Like I said, even though we're we're you know trying to sell subscriptions and and trying to uh, not generate interest, which is what I try not to do. I mean, that's I try to report what I'm really hearing, not. Hey, Chuck Filiaga had a really good practice. Hey, let's pump up this redshirt freshman as he's going to be. Well, that's be the other thing is I'll hear different reports like this is I'm not in, into the whole scooping deal, but you know I heard last year in the fall that Mo Ways was really turning heads in practice. I never said anything about it because it was one person who saw one practice, right? And sure enough, I mean, not a dig. This is not a dig at Mo Ways, but you know he didn't. He didn't have a season that turned heads, you know, it's just he must have had one day where things were really clicking for him. So like one right. I always hate those one practice reports like saw practice today, here's everything I noticed and then it's like you know, that stuff could I mean, anyone who played sports, they had days where, you know, if you played baseball, it's like, you know, yeah, I hit a home run one day in practice, but I also, you know, missed a bunch of, you know, BP swings in the next day. Like it's just it's just the natural variance of sports. No, I agree. And it's, you know, it's it's also, I mean, it's Michigan football. So they're, the rabid nature of the fan base as far as, you know, just wanting to, just people just wanting to know how their team is doing, you know. And so, yeah, you have somebody come in and say, yeah, I watched one practice, here's the deal. And then people kind of take you know, to say Bushel Beatty had a rough practice on Tuesday or something like, you know, and somebody sat in on that and then reported that he had a tough, you know, he had a tough day, didn't look good. You know, people take that and think, oh, well, offensive <laughs> line screwed this year. We're yep. not going to win, you know, like that. So it's like, that's why, like I said, like I have only put out a limited amount of like reports this spring because one, yeah, I know that some stuff you're never going to get no matter how badly you want it, but B, you just kind of have to look for patterns and and then kind of put two and two together and think, okay, I'm not being told this because it's something that is wanted out there. I'm just kind of quietly piecing it together and thinking, okay, these, all these, I'm hearing great, like Nick Eubanks, you know, was one that I posted in the five things I feel confident about this spring. It's like, I heard a lot about him uh, kind of knowing already that Gentry's in line to have a really good season and McCune should also have another good season. Um, but then we also hear like with Eubanks, you know, a lot of these reports, they're also, it's not like the team is going to hide from it in press conferences. Like they made, you know, we've talked about availability theory, who they put out for media availability is a good sign of who's stepping up. You know, we yep. got Nick Eubanks on Saturday and he John talked Ryan. about, and yeah, and he talked about how he was up 20 pounds ish this season. And, and uh, Sharon Moore talked about how he's, gaining weight and is becoming a matchup nightmare. So it's like, yeah, I know people want all the 
inside details, but probably the only ones of note are either the ones that are public or right. the ones that come from multiple people who are at most practices. Right. That would 100%. be the top stuff. Yeah. And the other thing I was going to say too, that people should keep in mind, especially this year, it shouldn't be a surprise that a team that returns what 17 or 18 starters is going to have a lot of guys that are going to be getting better. Like this isn't, you know, these are still second. You're going to have like, you think of the 17 class and how many really of those guys have yet to make a real impact at this point. You're going to hear a lot more about They're not even done with their first year of college. Right. You're going to hear a lot more about how much better they're getting uh, on the field this off season. I mean, you just, it's not, it's not fluff. You know, when you say, well, Ambry Thomas, a great example, a guy that, again, I mean, just to me, unless something happened, you know, knock on wood that he's able to stay healthy his entire career is a guy that is going to end up playing some elite football for Michigan. So it shouldn't be a surprise when you're constantly hearing good things about Ambry Thomas, whether it's publicly or privately. Or to hear, like, for instance, you know, Jalen Kelly Powell. I think Sam did a report on him. I think I posted about him earlier in the spring. I think I want to say he was mentioned by one of the coaches as well. Mm-hmm. You know, it shouldn't surprise people to hear, based if you cover, if you followed his recruitment at all, to hear that he's plays the game very intelligently and is a super versatile guy for them on defense, which is exactly what, how we covered him and, and, and had basically designated him as that type of guy in college. Right. So, you know, it's not going to be fluff to hear that a bunch of second and third year players are still getting better or are getting a lot better or are taking big, you know, jumps and stuff. Yeah. Two things. Interesting topic. I think it's a good question. Well, yeah. And I think people, because people ask me this sometimes too. They're like, Oh, well, how do we know if that's just coaches blowing smoke? And, and two things I would also add to what, to what you've said is one, the, who the coach is, is significant because like this is not a dig but like a younger coach like a like a Sharon Moore or Jay Harbaugh they have not seen as many football players making strides you know making steps doing things better than they used to than say Greg Madison so when Greg Madison comes out and says you know wow Rashawn Gary Chase Winovich you know are could be the best defensive ends in the country or could be all Americans or or if they you know are talking up Quiddy Pay and or Michael Dwemfor you know, that's that's kind of where it took off is all of a sudden you have Don Brown and Greg Madison talking him up like he can be not just a starter, but, you know, an all Big Ten kind of player. Now, they didn't say that, but, you know, that's a little bit of taking their tone and reading between the lines a little bit. But, you know, if it's a coach who's done it and has been around a long time, I think that carries a little bit more weight. Um, I also think, you know, I know we talk about how there's not fluff. I think some times and this is where i i appreciate the 24 7 this is not a one source site or a or a secondhand site it's you know we're really trying to get as many perspectives as possible if you're coming off an eight and five season all you're going to be thinking about is getting better so that's all you're really going to say is like this is better this is better this is better you know maybe it's not good enough to beat ohio state or maybe it's not good enough to win the big 10 but it the the general sense is that they're going to be better. And as you said, they're returning so many starters. Like, of course they're going to look better because they're everyone's back. They're just trying to do things better. Like it's just, it's just the nature of the, the narrative of the, of this off season within the program is let's try to be as better as possible at so many things. So, so yeah, I, I think it, I thought it was a good question. Cause I, I do think people, people are always curious, you know, like, like for example, you know, Joe Milton, and you kind of mentioned this with Kugler doesn't necessarily mean he's going to be all big 10, 
doesn't necessarily mean right. Joe Milton's not going to redshirt or not going to start. Like he's he may still spend the year redshirting. Right. But no, enough that, people have said that they like what he's done. Right. That's what it comes down to. Like that's the thing is like, and again, I try. I mean, I try. Like I, I mean, I think I even posted in one of the reports I did last week is like my philosophy is, you know, take what you want out of this. It's not gospel necessarily that a you know, even if a guy has a great spring and even if the guy ends up having a good fall, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean that this guy is going to turn into a star player or whatever, you know. And, and if four or five people are saying, hey, Joe Milton looks like the real deal in spring practice, it's going to get reported, you know. And it's just however the consumer or whatever wants to digest that information, I mean, it's up to them. You know, it's just we can only – you know, we can only play messenger so much as far as like, this is what we're consistently being told, you know, and it's not as if in Milton's case, especially, you know, talk about the coaches want to make a message. There's no reason for it to get out that Milton's having a great spring because the odds are very against him playing this season. I, st- I would still believe and barring something crazy. Um, you know what I mean? So yeah. it's, uh, you know, it's not as if there's like, you know, it's different than the, let's say, not that we want to get too into that topic, but it's different than maybe the way Zordich went about the Levert Hill stuff <laughs> last week. As far yeah. as like maybe, maybe trying to send a message, right? That's not like what this stuff is. This stuff's not like that at all. Yes, so. you don't send the messages. The coaches might try to do you know between-the-lines stuff in, in press conferences. Um, yeah. Anyway, football recruiting, Michigan, back in the swing of things. I know recruiting was sort of in the in the back seat at least in our podcast and in the general minds of readers because of basketball hockey and spring practice but it's back they got two commits this weekend we'll talk about each of them we'll also talk about the new sign or not new signing period new official visit window and what that means and then obviously we have other notes but first to Corey couch was he cornerback from hollywood florida four-star guy uh pretty uh, a little undersized but pretty fast and athletic. Uh, your thoughts on his commitment and, and I guess the job Michigan did in, in getting that commitment. Well, let's look back. Miles Sims, six foot two. Jemin Green, six foot two. Sammy Faustin, six foot two. Vincent Gray, six foot two. You know, the last two cycles, even go back to 17, Benjamin St. Juice, six foot three. You know, Michigan has stocked up and is so deep at that the tall outside lanky defensive back things that I think it makes total sense to be recruiting a guy. You know, we look, we know what Ohio State wants to do offensively in Penn State. You know, with their it's predicated on speed, predicated on getting to the edge. Um, I kind of look at Couch as a guy that can potentially, you know, be an important player in games like that. Uh, as far as keeping the edge, sticking with like a a Paris Campbell type, or you know even you know Penn, over in Penn State, a lot of good things is being said about Orchard Lake St. Mary, uh, KJ Hamler, and that's the type of guy that a, a kid like Couch is is going to have to cover. You know, a smaller, faster type guy. Not saying those other guys wouldn't be able to do it, but I, I think that's I'm putting two and two together here. It's what I feel like is maybe the aim. Um, yeah, listed as an athlete, but being recruited at, at cornerback for sure. Uh, 
you know, the 148, his weight was a number that, you know, he was a four star, but that wasn't good enough. People had to find something to like <laughs> yeah. nitpick. Um, his, well, he's he's heavier now, right? I thought I saw somewhere that he was up to like 162. Okay, so that's not true. Oh, and that's, he but, is 148. But, okay, but there's a, but there's a reason. So here's the thing: he's also an elite track athlete at his high school. Andrew Ivins, who does an amazing job covering our Miami site, uh, had told me that Couch weighed in at 148 at the last Nike event that he attended, which I don't believe was that long ago at all but that his playing weight right now in football is closer to that number, the 163 or 165, whatever. Like, I think I saw a couple of people like reporting that our 148 number was false, which is, is not true. Um, this is just like a more of a real-time you know, update on where his weight is. And, uh, but, yeah, I would expect his playing weight once the fall hits to be somewhere around the 165 mark or so. So – Again, not really a big deal right now. And again, you know, Don Brown takes him. Who cares what he weighs right now? It doesn't matter. Like they're they're gonna they'll get him where they got to get him to eventually. So um, it's always good to get a you know, Shamanad Madonna is a big time program. Uh, so it never hurts to go into South Florida and uh, beat Miami for a four star. He was he was technically he was soft commit to Tennessee, but. I don't think there'd even been contact there since Jeremy Pruitt was hired actually. So, yeah. I mean, really it was not even a soft commitment. I mean, he was just, they are probably should have taken him off the commitment list on our site, you know, <laughs> before he committed to Michigan. Cause it was really down to Michigan or Miami. Um, don't expect this to be over though. Uh, just cause he is in South Florida and Miami was the other program. Uh, he could jog to, Miami's yeah, campus. No, yeah. And like, yeah. So, uh, and we'll talk more about that after I assume we're going to move on to Jack Stewart. Jack Stewart. Yeah. Yeah. Now, now this guy, no one was mad about his weight, but they were mad about the three star, but he's, was he Connecticut? Yep. Yeah. So another guy from the Northeast, I, I, you know, you and I probably are on the same page at some point, you're just going to have to accept that Michigan is going to take you know, three-star under-recruited guys from the Northeast because they have connections there. And because so far, I mean, you know, Mo Hurst, Sean McCune, Tariq Black, uh, I'm probably missing a couple Stuber if he, if he, you know, makes Mason, Ben Mason. Yeah. A lot of yeah. guys from, from there who, cause you know, some three, star, three stars, people see deficiencies in their games. Others might not have just been seen enough. I mean, Sean McCune was the fastest tight end in his recruiting class. And he could block and run routes, so it was kind of. I think people just kind of missed the boat on him. What's what do you what can you tell us about Jack Stewart and and his where he fits into this class as far as what he can add? I mean, honestly, he he really has a lot of traits to his game. Kind of remind me of Jalen Mayfield from last cycle as like an undersized, but at really really athletic, good bend. I know one of our we have a couple posters on our board. I can't remember the. Um, God, the one guy's username, but he's very good at discussing the offensive line, especially. But I don't think he was big on Stewart, if I remember right. Somebody could correct me in the board if anybody uh, does so or whatever. But he does he does have some. Uh, he's reminiscent of Mayfield to me to an extent. Uh, and here's the other thing: offensive line. I believe there's the highest amount of variance as far as recruiting rankings versus that is actually correct. succeeding yeah. at the college level. Yes. So. You know, it's like 
it's just it's the same deal. People just trying to look for a reason to complain a lot. It's like everyone's so happy about Warner being hired. He's going to turn the offensive line around. He's, you know, he's got such a track record. And then he takes a verbal from a guy, and now everyone's unhappy again because he's a three-star and, you know, what are we doing, you know, type thing. It's like you know, this guy does have a track record for a reason. And, uh, again, he, he, has, he has an offer from Wisconsin, Texas A&M, Kentucky, Ole Miss. I mean, it's not like he's Arizona State. You know, the guy had he, Stewart's got excellent offer list. I look at a tackle who's got an offer from Wisconsin, and I immediately say this guy got. I didn't know he had Wisconsin. Got, Interesting. Yeah, okay. he's at least got the potential to play. Right. You know, and and Wisconsin's judicious with their tackle offers, and they're highly successful. You know, and I'm I'm not saying like, hey, you know, you should seed to whatever Wisconsin does if you want to succeed but in a way I mean you know I if I'm a if I'm a Michigan fan out there and I see that Jack Stewart who committed to Michigan had an offer from to play tackle at Wisconsin I got to think okay there's at least a shot that this guy has the potential to be a pretty good football player I mean to to me you can make it complicated but to me in a lot of ways it it can be that simple too Mm -hmm. Um, so again here we are so we I can I can have the benefit of foresight here he's ranked at an 87 right now we talked last cycle about how a lot of the guys that committed to michigan stayed at the exact same rating i don't care about the number that they're ranked whether he's 616 he's the 56th ranked offensive tackle in the class whatever i don't care about that i'm i always look at the rating more than the ranking to see if his rating changes throughout the cycle or if it stays the same because um like i said we talked last cycle about how many of those guys in that cycle that state exactly. Oh, Jim and Green go back to him again as a guy that I he's definitely a four-star prospect, and he stayed at an 88 for the entire cycle. Um, so let's see if his if he gets a fair shake uh, from our evaluators and from the other evaluators, and doesn't just you know sometimes when a guy commits, I feel like less attention is paid to some guys just because. You know, there's no drama. There's no nothing dramatic about their recruitment anymore. So there's not right. really a big, big reason to look back into them and stuff. So um, let's just see how that plays out. But yeah, I mean, you know, Michigan. I think they're in a position right now too to take maybe a, a chance. Like Trent Jones is an excellent high school prospect. Uh, I think they can take a a flyer on a guy. Uh, you know, I think they were able to redshirt all of their tackles they were here you know so um and then you got two more coming in with mayfield and hayes who are tackles is hayes so, officially because he was introduced as a yeah, he, he'll play he michigan's plan with him was he may if they like what they see out of him early enough i could see him playing some tight end early on but okay absolutely and well that was under drevno so i don't know if warner's philosophy or his belief with Hayes will change but Hayes will find a role I just suspect that he will eventually be a tackle I mean that was the plan from the beginning is that if they like him enough they'll give him a shot to play early at tight end you know maybe an inline tight end and then kick him out to tackle eventually you know so um but yeah uh it's I think it's a good it's a good take uh they he was I think he was the first first or second tackle they offered after Warner got hired or that he was officially made offensive line coach. So again, another mm-hmm. indication and they took his verbal. They don't have to take a kid's verbal commitment right now. So the fact that they take a kid's verbal in April 
is a good sign that they really think the kid can play. So There you go. Michigan yep. moved up to fourth with the two commitments. They're back down to sixth. Uh, that's the nature of team rankings this time of year. But uh, they had a they had a few other people on campus. But you know you can you know talk about those in this in this segment. But this was also the first weekend that they had official visits in the spring. Do I have that right? Is that was that the rule? And then also, yeah. How did it go? I mean you I mean you talked to a couple people inside the, the that are in the know. I guess did they did they like it? Did they not like it? you know how how does that it's it's a new thing i mean how do, right. how does that how did it pan out so the it's it's a double edged sword one of my suspicions was correct i think one of the things it does is it it you're hosting kids that maybe you wouldn't have gotten up for an unofficial until the fall and it gives you a good indication on hey is this a guy we want to keep going after or we'll have enough of a shot with that it's worth devote continuing to devote our resources to or not um, and I take John Dunmore as the example as a guy that uh, appears the answer to that question is yes, that Michigan will probably keep going here when really if the not saying the visit would have went badly, but you know, they could could have gotten a good indication of, hey, he's which I mean, he still may be a heavy Florida State lean, but they could have come out of it saying, Hey, this guy's definitely going to Florida State or this guy's definitely going to Florida. You know, we're wasting our time. You know, we're not granted if they send a coach to go see couch. Dunmore goes to the same school, so maybe not the best example, but you know what I mean, though, as far as like just devoting pure resources to a guy that you know you don't have a shot with. So uh, the other thing to me was more about, you know, it's about those same guys. It's all about the long distance kids. Uh, now you got to get them back up on their own dime, and that's the other side of it. Is couch is committed, but you, you you're not going to be able to go from now until December without wanting him back up there again, but he's going to have to come up on his own next time, you know, that Michigan can't cover it. You know, rules won't cover him. Can't take two officials, the same school. And knowing that Miami was the other program that was heavily involved with him, you just have to kind of, you have to know that Miami's not going to stop because yeah, they're Miami's sitting there thinking, eh, all right. Like I'll bet in Miami's case, I'll bet they don't really feel like much change because there's almost right. no doubt he's, you know what I mean? Like they're, they're going to, they're still, they're not going to change their pursuit of him because he makes a verbal and they know they can get him on campus easily. A hundred times. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You know, so it's like, so in a way, I don't want to downplay the fact that the kid followed through the verbal commitment, but in a way it's almost kind of like, okay, Michigan's philosophy or Michigan's thought process right now is like, okay, now we really have a shot to sign this kid. Um, as absurd as that is to say about somebody who just verbally committed, you have to be kind of cognizant of how the process works. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so yeah, that's kind of the double edged sword. Double edged sword was the way it was explained to me. Uh, that it's sort of a double edged sword in that you learn a lot about the kid, maybe about how to, how to recruit them going forward, which is how you would have, what you would have learned coming out of an official anyway, but to have that knowledge and, and earlier in the process, I think can be more beneficial, but yeah, now it's like, cause think about it, Georgia, Clemson, Miami, guessing Florida and Florida state, like a lot of these schools down South are not even doing official visits in the spring. And I think what you're going to see is you're going to see some guys that out of region will go to other, some other programs. You know, I think you look at the, just like the Penn States, uh, maybe the Ohio States. I mean, Ohio State's always just done well, period. 
um, Michigan, Notre Dame. I think what you'll see, not a ton, but and maybe even some of the smaller schools, let's just say like Illinois or Minnesota, you know, some of these other lower tier Big Ten programs that are recruiting pretty well or pretty aggressively. I think you'll see some guys that will verbal, but what you'll see is that these the schools that are closer to the bigger concentrations of talent in the country will just wait until later in the cycle to make really, really strong pushes at the end to try to get kids, you know, because, yeah, now Georgia can host to Corey Couch on an official in November if they want to, you know, and, he, you know, Michigan doesn't have that ace mm-hmm. in the sleeve anymore. So it's it's just another part of the chess match, I think. And, uh, I mean, the more I think about it, the more, I, I mean, again, Michigan's going to know, I think, whether or not they'll have a good shot to get a kid back up. So I assume that with Couch, I assume they believe that there's it's not going to be a big issue to get him back up to campus again. Okay. Do you think but, this net benefits Northern schools, or do you think it's a well, detriment to them? What I was going to say is, I, I that's what I was going to say, I, I the more I think about it, the more I, I actually kind of think that this is, is going to be a disadvantage at the end of the day. Um, at least, I'd say this, it just depends on how the kids want to use their officials. If if you have kids that are out of region that are using all their officials in the spring, then it's definitely going to help the closer the schools that they're closer to because they'll go into the senior season and they've used all five of their official visits. That means if they go anywhere else, they got to pay for it. And so, you know, let's just I keep using Dunmore, but let's just say Dunmore and he didn't, but let's just say he had officially visited Penn State, Ohio State, Notre Dame, Michigan, and like Northwestern or something, right? By the time fall comes around, he's used all five of his officials. So if he was interested enough, let's say two of those officials went really, really well. You know, and he but he went and he wanted to go back up there. Well, a trip for a kid from South Florida to go up to Happy Valley is probably going to be fifteen hundred, two thousand dollars. You got flight, lodging, food, because because Penn State can't cover any of that. Same thing for Michigan. Just say it's the same price, right? When instead takes him 20 minutes to drive to Miami. He's just got to maybe get like a burger or something on the way home. Yeah. You know what I mean? And the, and those visits and then those coaches, that all that effort and all that will add up at the end of the day, you know, and, and a lot of times in recruiting, it can become out of sight, out of mind. And so that's why one of the old adages of like official visits is you don't want to be the first of five mm, because, yeah. You know, these guys that'll take officials during the season, you don't want to be the first one because a lot of times, like for whatever reason, you know, those last two or that last ones for, you know, more often than not seem to kind of leave a lasting impression. And then the staffs who are hosting that last official, they know they're the last official. So they're going to go all out, you know, for you on that last visit because they know that it's going to be the last, like real, unless you only take another visit, but a lot of times they don't the last like strong impression you're going to get on the recruiting process. So it's interesting. The logistical side of stuff is always way more interesting to me than like the definitely more interesting than arguing over stars and all that kind of crap. So, um, but long story short, I, I kind of tend to believe this is going to end up being another advantage for the Southern schools. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's I'll be curious to see how it plays out uh, real quick. I know our subscribers, can get all the info at the michiganinsider.com michigan.247sports.com but anything else from this weekend i know they had a few people on campus uh additional insights that people should know about michigan recruiting this spring 
Well, we've had we've been trying to reach out to some of these other guys. I think the visit with Kyle Hamilton, the safety out of Atlanta, went pretty well. Uh, I think Michigan's going to be a factor there. I expect him to. He's looking at making a decision sometime in the near future. Um, and then what? Trust. I just Michigan's offensive line recruiting is kind of starting to take shape, uh, and it sounds like Penn State's kind of had a big lead there for a little bit. I. Sounds like it'd be surprising if they overcame it at this point. We'll see. He's another guy we haven't gotten a hold of yet. Um, trying to think of who else. Luke Deal, the tight end out of South Carolina. I know Bryce did a good recap with him on that visit. That's one I feel like missed. there's some positive vibes there, but he's also a seems to be a pretty positive reactor to any of his visits. So love those um, guys. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean it, it, it's that's one of the tougher things is parsing through guys who you know there are guys that just legitimately enjoy all their visits i mean some of these guys are aware of what they're going through and that it's a really cool experience you know so sometimes you'll get like really really positive and detailed reactions about you know how it kids how it goes and how the family enjoyed it and stuff like that so no i think they put themselves in position with some guys um you know when they got the verbal obviously so uh i'd say it's a successful weekend they got zach harrison up again i think michigan's still in that one i know everyone's penciling him into the Ohio State's class, and he very well may be there. But um, mom said that visit went pretty well. Um, she's pretty low-key, though. I mean, it's hard to kind of get her excited when she's talking about any of these visits. I think they're trying to kind of take the process at face value and just be very businesslike about everything. But I know Michigan feels like, and Penn State, feel like that there's a shot there uh, for both of their schools. So good visit weekend overall, I feel like. Okay, yeah. We'll move on to basketball. If you want us to talk more football and recruiting, by the way, you have to ask us more football and recruiting questions. That's the new rule. Is we yep, if, if you fine. if you I'm don't fine. ask questions, we get to pick, and so you're kind of putting it in our hands. But anyway, basketball. I wanted. To, I know we've kind of done these wrap up things like ten times, but uh, Mo Wagner declared for the NBA draft and will sign an agent. Uh, that was announced between since we did our last podcast. Uh, should be. I mean, it sounded like he's got one already picked out, and I think he's going to sign. I know he's in New York this weekend. Uh, I don't know what else I'm supposed to say, but it sounds like he's going to have an agent already, and and it, things things will be going for him. And we talked to him on Tuesday, and it was you know he was basically talking about how it's nothing personal to Michigan. He loves Michigan, you know, and maybe maybe he could w- raise more banners and win more stuff, but. He won an awful lot this year, and there isn't a whole lot more for him to grow in the college game. You know, I mean, he can average a couple more points, average maybe a couple more rebounds, but it's not gonna, it's not gonna fundamentally change who he is as a player. Like he he grew up and he's ready for the next challenge. And I, I frankly I agree with him. You know, I don't I don't think this needs to be. You know, I, I'm always very team player as far as whether you leave or not. But in addition, I mean, you know, the difference between him freshman year sophomore junior i mean he he's you know he's so much better with reporters you know he held his own for like a 30 minute press conference it it was tough getting him to say anything two years ago and so so no he's very very much grown up but now michigan has some questions to answer because they went to the championship game but they have lost three of their top four scorers they may lose a fourth we'll talk about that in a moment and but but they're going to have pretty high expectations and they have some things going in their favor pretty heavily so I'll do a more in-depth story uh, leaning toward Friday, maybe Saturday, kind of looking, breaking down these five questions and what's to answer. But first, 
Uh, but we'll discuss them a little bit now. First, Charles Matthews, what will he do? What should he do? So, Steve, you sent one my way, a mock draft that had him projected in the second round. But I believe that's the only one I've seen of him being projected to be drafted. Uh, I guess I, I have my own thoughts on what he should do. We have not heard anything yet. He has until Sunday to decide. But I would almost take—I I don't know—the fact that he hasn't said anything yet that almost makes me think that there's a decent chance he's not going to declare at all. So the rules are: if you don't know, you can test the waters and you can declare for the draft. And you can do all these workouts, you can go to the combine, do everything. And if you don't hire an agent, you can come back. But if you hire an agent, you're gone, or you can just not declare. I guess, what is your thoughts on this situation? And if you were Charles Matthews, what would you be doing? All right, you tell me, you give me the info here and tell me if I'm wrong or not. I mean, I think if you're even, if there's even one mock draft that has you being picked, that you should at least go like declare without the agent what's the downside ah i'm glad you asked because both beeline and mo wagner mentioned this in the past week the downside is that it will turn nba scouts on into to to things that you know you're working on and and so because yeah that's the that's the question is like well if if it doesn't cost you anything and it only gives you more exposure and more more intel and what it's going to take that's one thing, but and, and and this is a little bit re- reading between the lines. What Mo and Beeline both said, you know, they said if it's stuff that you know you're working on, and maybe you don't want the entire NBA draft world to know about it or have this, you know, increased exposure about it, maybe you don't want to. And Beeline also mentioned by doing this, you basically give up four weeks of Camp Sanderson or or whatever private training you want to do because you're you're living out of hotel rooms, you're eating a lot of takeout. You know, you, you, you can you're going to, you know, get experience of working out for NBA teams, but you're not necessarily going to fundamentally improve your jump shot. You're not going to bulk up by 10 pounds of muscle. And so so it's 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 a debate because we saw, I mean, Purdue's Nelgel Eastern averaged three points a game this year. He he's testing the waters. And frankly, I don't think that, as you said, you know, it it, it doesn't really cost you anything. But I'm curious with Matthews because he, everyone knows, you know, it's not a secret. He has turnover issues. He had, I mean, he led the team in turnovers. He, his jump shooting could improve and his free throw shooting could improve. But at the same time, you know, if you get your name out there, I mean, he's a guy who's always been, NBA's always been on his mind. He wanted to be a one and done. He honestly didn't, he wanted to be a none and done. He's someone that probably would have gone and at least tried it out early on. And now he's 21, he's three years in, you know, I could see a situation where he's getting antsy and wanting to go. Plus he had a great tournament. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's the additional info. I don't know if that changes your stance on what, what he, you would do if you were him. Uh, I don't know. I mean, is he, he's not really like I, at the camp Sanderson stuff. He's not really a guy that's, gonna like take a huge leap i mean he's already physically i feel like he's well he did put on 20 pounds of muscle since he arrived at michigan well how much more how much further can he go probably 10 before it's you know detrimental but Um, he does have things he has very beeline things to work on turnovers offensive awareness shooting i agree i'd say this i say well i guess 
I don't know enough about the ins and outs of what they do for the draft workout or that type of thing to, you know, because yeah, I, I don't think he's a guy. I don't think he's a guy that's ready. I mean, and I don't say that very, usually I I'm all about these guys should go if they're even close, just because, you know, you never, you're, I think you're at the, we're at the point now where if you're even borderline, you're running a huge risk of falling, even falling rather than rising. Uh, considering how many young players go and, and yet the international pool now that are, you're, the NBA is picking out of constantly. So, um, but in Matthew's case, yeah, I think there is a lot of the just basic intangibles still, despite his excellent tournament performance, uh, that he could, you know, really see a, a, a rise in, uh, <clears throat> in what he's doing, you know, in, that, in my opinion. So, um, I don't know. I, I think he should stay. I guess. I guess I'd still maybe do the NBA draft thing though, or without the agent. But uh, well, you do. You. I mean, you can learn things. And I, if I were him, to answer it shortly, although I'll have an explanation in a second. I, I'm with you. I think. I think I would. If I were him, I would go in, you know, open mind, see if you can make something out of it, but also with kind of this awareness. And I think whether he says it or not, I think Mo was kind of in this boat last season when he declared. It was kind of just to see what was there. I think he still wanted to be at Michigan. I remember there was one quote, I think it might have been in the Doc and Dunk podcast or something, but where he was kind of hinting that, you know, he's probably going to come back, that he's just seeing what's out there. I if if I were Charles Matthews, unless unless there's something different, right? Cuz they get different info, they get actual NBA scouts analysis. They don't they don't just get, you know, ESPN's mock draft or CBS Sports mock draft, they get real intel. So unless there's something drastically different in there, I would test it out. Maybe not do it the full time. You don't have to wait until May 30th. You know, you don't, you know, you don't have to go do the combine. You don't have to go to every workout, but do a couple. You know, see see what it's like, and then you can come back. And then and, you know, and and I don't I don't think he did all of Camp Sanderson last year either. So. It's not the end of the world. I mean, you can have, he has he has some resources in Chicago. He has high school, pretty good high school, uh, produces a couple D1 players. So certainly, you know, I it, it's kind of one of those things where unless the intel's different, I don't know that this is his shot. And, and the, the key for me, because I'm I'm almost I'm like Steve, I'm pretty much always pro player on this. I'm like, do you know? go. I thought DJ Wilson should have gone last year. Turns out he definitely should have gone if he was going to be drafted 17th. But, you know, even when he was going to be just first round, I I thought he should have gone. And and so generally in pro player, the, the key question is always, how much can you improve? You know, how much can your draft stock improve? Because you are playing for free another year. The average NBA career is not very long. The average pro career is probably like, you know, for someone of of a mid second round level, probably about six years. That's about how many years making money you're actually going to get. And some people can extend that. Some people do better. Some people do worse. But you know, if you're burning one sixth of your playable years by by going by by playing for free another year, you better be moving up in your draft stock. You better be moving up in the minds of NBA teams because NBA teams are now pro development more than anything. You know, they like having young guys they can throw in the G League for a couple years and, and see what happens. So, 
So if I were him, oh, go ahead. No, sorry, just real quick, going back to just the one that always cracks me up is the, well, DJ Wilson's only playing two minutes a game for Milwaukee. He really should have come back to Michigan and played. It's like the guys are getting paid, what was was the contract, like two and a half? Yeah, two and a half million this year. And, And as if the fact that he's only playing two minutes in Milwaukee means that like the Milwaukee coaching staff is not like developing him in the off time that he's not playing like, you know what I mean? Right. Like, Oh yeah. 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 And teams, and this is, this is a common misconception because there was the other thing I posted this when Mo Wagner declared of the top 50 draft picks, all but four had multi-year guaranteed deals. And, and so last year, and so like teams are willing to invest more in players who might not see the court right away. I mean, Look at the Pistons with Henry Ellenson. You know, they're they're taking their time with him. They're working him up into maybe someday being a, a rotation player. And and I don't know if talking about the Pistons draft picks is the best example, but but you get the idea that they are looking at these guys and saying, okay, this is a two or three year project because enough teams have been burned by someone they've released after a year that they're no longer doing that. Uh, so anyway, as far as what will he do, I still think he will declare. But I would actually be unsurprised if there was actually if he just said, you know what, I'm just going to focus on getting better because because he's not like he's not getting info right now. I mean, he's he's hearing about, you know, what what's working, what he does well, what he doesn't do well. So without knowing what those meetings are like, I would I think the fact that he has not declared now because pretty much everyone has means that he is at least considering not going at all you know, agent or no agent, he's, there's at least a thought in his head about not going anyway. So that would be a big question. Cause I, I, I assume if he comes back, he will be Michigan's best player. I assume he's going to be their leading scorer. Uh, the, they're kind of going to build the offense around him, but I guess, I guess we'll see. I mean, you know, these decisions, I, I think people have been surprised on both sides of the coin before. So, so that would be one big question. Uh, then the next big question that we have, and these these other ones will probably go quicker because they're a little less prevalent. Um, who else will Michigan add? So Steve, I'm curious because you know you hear different names. Uh, you know what Mike Mooney from South Dakota, he's no longer in the running. I mentioned, I think I might have mentioned it on here last week. It's going to be a tough sell for Michigan to get a grad transfer that will be an impact player because. You know, even Jaron Simmons, I don't think he comes to Michigan if Xavier Simpson had this kind of season last season. Right. You know, and, and, and you look at across the board, I know, you know, Mo Wagner is not easy to replace. Duncan Robinson, not easy to replace. Muhammad Ali Abdurrahman, not easy to replace. But Michigan's got a like rough starting five of Xavier Simpson, Jordan Poole, Charles Matthews, Isaiah Livers, and John Teske. I mean, I think all of those guys scored at least 19 points in one game last season. You know, they all looked good. I mean, John Teske looked, certainly looked like one of the Big Ten's better centers in the Big Ten tournament championship game, dunking all over Isaac Haas, you know, and, and, and Jordan Poole. I mean, when he's on, he can light people up. You know, not not many people have a sixth man who's going to hit the biggest shot of the NCAA tournament. Right. You know, that's – so Michigan's actually in pretty good position in the sense of they're they're equipped at each position, and I think that's going to hurt them on the grad transfer trail. As far as 2018, curious your thoughts because do they want a 2018, a sixth 2018 freshman, or do they want to save that for 2019 and and kind of balance the classes a little bit? What what I mean, 
we can talk about names, but the names change all the time. Should they be looking to add somebody? And and if so, what kind of player would you want to add? I mean, we can kind of follow the breadcrumbs and with the way they're recruiting, and it's it really appears that they're going to wait and go for some nineteen, like build the nineteen class up a little bit more than maybe we thought they would originally. I mean, you mentioned the guys that are coming back, but then you also mentioned we got at least at least two. Oh, the freshman or question offseason question number three, by the way. Okay, well, well, yeah. but still, I mean, it plays it kind of plays a role in answering that question, though, the way they're going to approach things. Um, it it really it kind of seems like their interest in these grad transfers has been, would you say, cursory? I guess as far. Well, as... I think they were interested in Mooney. I mean, they would love to have a shooter. That's right. you know, there's been and there's been a couple 2018 recruits, and there's one 2019 recruit, Andre Hyatt, that they have that was a 2018 recruit who could theoretically reclassify back to 2018. Generally what they're looking for is someone kind of what Ibby Watson's role is going to be is a shooter off the bench. Who's also can be an athletic defender. Um, but that said, you know, Mike Mooney, look at the schools he's looking at. They have serious holes at the guard position that they would need a starter. Like he would be, he would be a key role player. Grad transfers are either looking to play more, well, I guess that's really all they're looking for. In the, you know, play more, right, get more yeah. exposure. And and yep. right now Michigan can't really, I mean, they can, but they can't really offer that to anybody at this time without it being like, well, you're going to have to beat Jordan Poole for playing time. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I don't see, for the grad transfer, I don't see the upside to taking that route if you're a grad transfer to, to go to Michigan. I mean, um, especially with... Like, yeah, with Poole's expected emergence, I mean, yeah, he already started to play a decent role, uh, you know, at the, near the end of last year. But but as a guy, I think it's going to be universally, not just because of his personality, because he's a pretty strong personality, so people are going to write about him anyway. But I just legitimately on the basketball court, it's kind of an easy pick to take a huge leap next season, you know. So you got Off that. season question number four. Keep that in your head. Yeah, so I didn't mean to like yeah allude to all these questions. Oh no, you're good. You're good. <laughs> you know what I mean though is like yeah. so not the most optimal situation uh, I think for a potential grad transfer. So um, so I, I'm I'm I think we're pretty much in agreement there. But I, I and then you got here's the other thing, you know we talk about 19, you know this season could you know usually we see it play some benefit you know making it all the way to the national championship game you usually kind of see it you know make some kind of impact uh on yeah. the recruiting i look at what they did in 15 uh after now granted you know a couple or not 15 uh is it 16 which one was chapman <laughs> 14 that was quite a class yeah. huh <laughs> right no yeah, but the class where on paper it was you know it looked pretty solid but then ironically the lowest ranked player in the class ended up having the biggest impact at Michigan with Abdul Rahman. So um, I guess it really wasn't that good of a class, but it did help reel in. It was, it was underwhelming, but you know what? They were in the room with a lot of high start guys. If I, if I recall this correctly and and you might have a better sense of it than I do, but if I remember correctly, they had a lot of five stars visiting. They had a lot of five stars. They were like kind of like a finalist for, and the difference was, I don't think beeline was quite ready to play those kind of games. Cause I mean, even if even forget the Bagman deal, even just recruiting a five star is a different beast than recruiting a, a four star or three star. Who's already kind of interested in you. 
Like you really have to sell it. And I just, I, if I can be frank, I don't think Beeline was ready to recruit top 50 kids as much. Right. And so, but now I think he is ready. I think he's more equipped now. I think, I think seeing them offer Keon Brooks was an indication of that, you know, at this point, um, you know, where a lot of these races for a five-star level guy are kind of not decided, but the groundwork or the foundation is kind of there in the recruitment, you know, and then to get in now when, you know, I think what Michigan state, Indiana, that they've had offers on the table for him for a really long time. And I know he's, they're always a little more judicious with their offers than a lot of mm-hmm. other programs are, but they're also uh, looking I mean, at, you know, Tyrese Maxey and uh, Jalen Wilson. Yep. I mean, there's a lot of top 50 guys who, I mean, Romeo Weems, <laughs> yep. we'll see yep. how that one goes, but you know, they're right. right now. They're being pretty picky about it about like how good you have to be to get an offer. Right. Well, as they should, but they're, but they are, that's the other thing is with as loaded as the roster is, they are in that, you know, they are kind of in that position. And uh, yeah, it'd be interesting to see, you know, you got Gerard still out there. Not sure about that one. Um, I know Sean Shearer from our Michigan state site. I think his crystal ball is in for Michigan on on Watts, um, oh, okay. which, which, Again, we'll see. I don't know. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah, it's 50-50. It's cloudy in Michigan. So technically, you could argue Michigan leads on the crystal ball there. But, um, yeah, we'll see. I'm obviously not as in tune on the basketball recruiting side of things as football. but Well, uh, I, I think this we, summer is going to tell us a lot because I think, I mean, you know, you also need to understand that they might, you don't know who the coach, the assistants are going to be. You know, do they get new deals? What? How does that go? Um right. Anyway, speaking of recruiting, though, we have a little bit more concrete info on the 2018 class. Uh, the the 24-7 sports rankings came out, final 2018 rankings. Uh, not too favorable. I know they moved Brandon Johns back into the top 100, but it still seems kind of low at 89. Uh, you know, David DeJulius, a couple of our competitors have him around 90. Uh, our rankings have him at 141. Uh, Adrian Nunez... I, obviously, he's kind of an all bets are off deal. I mean, if he's going to make forty percent of his threes, he's going to play, and if not, he's not this year. So, so it's going to be he's kind of in a different, a different category. But five guys, five positions, number thirteen class, two guys for sure that that you and I I think both agree are going to play a lot. Ignis Brzezikis, Brandon Johns. I also think you could throw David Julius in there. Uh, your thoughts on on some of these freshmen, some of the rankings, and what what is what is realistic to expect from some of these players entering year one? Um, so first things, you know, it's ironic because I feel like a lot of times we're defending the rankings of the football prospects that Michigan recruits, but I'm looking at the basketball list, our our latest list, and think that. I agree with those who think that the Julius ranking is kind of ridiculous based on the way he put the, the senior season that he had. Um, I definitely think he should be ranked higher. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, top one, top 100 on the composite. Right. Which is fine, but we have him at what? 140. Yeah. 141. <laughs> um, he's not the 23rd best point guard in the, in the class. No, uh, much better than that. So, um, you know, the rest of the guys, I know we talked about, I think, is it ESPN that's holding up Brazdikas? Yeah, so Brazdikas is, is a top 30 player per rivals. 
Um, but they don't rank him because he's Canadian. I don't understand it, but whatever. Uh, and then ESPN, yeah. you know, you want to talk about a guy who has not had his rating. I mean, he's an 88. I think that was submitted over a year ago, and it hasn't changed. So, so he ends up being what 73rd in the composite. But he's really see him as like a top 40 prospect because the two sites who have ranked him lately have him top 40. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe uh, maybe 24/7 needs to find some more sites to include on the composite, at least on the basketball side of things or something. Cause I'd that, like them to change it because, like, also their team rankings. I mean, I was telling you, Colin Castleton, him being listed as a power forward instead of a center, knocked him knocked Michigan's recruiting class down three spots. You know, it's just yeah, like these little quirks weird. that football, the law of the numbers, kind of bring them to fruition. But basketball, it's like these little things can can add up. That is weird. No, but in the general sense, though, I mean, yeah, I look at, I mean, I see five commitments and their average rating is a 95 and it's just kind of hard to believe it's the 13th ranked class in the country. <laughs> You'd feel, it feels like it's a much better class than the 13th in the, I mean, it, it is, it's their best on paper since the, what, the 12 or the 11 class, the, the great yeah, class. 2012, yeah. yeah. Or NBA so, players. Yeah. Right. And so you see how they continue. And then, and then you look at Nunez as a guy that's like an absolute perfect, you know, I wouldn't. We talk about them wanting to pick up a shooter at the grad transfer circuit. I mean, who's to say if he doesn't come in? I agree that he couldn't be an off the bench, you know, shooter. I mean, he had a great at, prep year, by the way. His his senior year, I know people were pretty mad about his stats. He didn't. I don't think he averaged even ten points a game, and was kind of a bench player in high school. But he had a great prep year and started to look a little bit more college ready. Yeah, absolutely, and that. The other thing too, six five, and the elevation on his jump shot. I think we had talked. Maybe we talked about that, or it's yeah, been written yeah. about. But man, I mean, and I'm not kidding. I think I wrote about this too, and I'm sure somebody else has because it's odd. His shooting form is almost a carbon copy of Clay Thompson. I mean, it's unbelievable how much his, uh, just his elevation, his release is like almost exactly like Clay Thompson, and. uh I thought that was kind of interesting. I mean, it's meaningless, I guess, at the end of the day, but I just thought that was just kind of crazy how, how much he looks like him, <laughs> uh, at least when he's shooting the ball. So, um, But, yeah, I mean, he'd be a sleeper. Yeah, I guess I look at Castleton as a guy who's probably going to need some time in the weight room. So um, I hear that a lot, but he's ranked very high by all the different sites. Like, he's he's right. actually ranked higher than John's right now. Or maybe not Maybe not oh. in the comp- – I think ESPN's, once again – kind of not updating their stuff on him. Maybe they're doing something this week. I don't know. But, but you know, rivals in 24-7 have him very high. And he's someone, I mean, you know, we talked about how Teske can kind of take Mo Wagner's spot, probably provide better defense, slightly worse offense, but still do stuff. But Castleton's the guy that can space the floor and be that athletic, you know, just gives you such a competitive advantage against, like, you know, the, the typical Big Ten stiffs. Yep. But I don't know. So I'm curious. No, I agree. Yeah. I've heard a few people say he needs time. I've heard a couple people say, you know, he won't start, but he could he could be he could add something right now. Do well yeah, but Zach, like of these five guys, I mean, do you feel like he's is the most likely? I mean, it's hard to imagine that all five of these guys are gonna come in and play right away. Are we because the top three we kind of agree on for sure with, with the Julius being the third. I mean 
between Castleton and Nunez, are we kind of equal there as far as who could make an impact? Um, well, you're probably right. They're not going to roll out an 11 man rotation or a 12 man rotation. Davis, Austin yeah. Davis isn't going anywhere. So, you know, I, I just. Well, I think we John's. Personally, I think Johns could compete with Livers for a starting job. Sure. And and I think I think Brizdykis is going to get time. He's going to be kind of the all-around bench you. guy, you know, kind of kind of like what they thought Nick Stauskas was going to be before he ended up being a lot better than they thought. Um, sure. you know, he's going to be he's going to back up Matthews, back up Poole, back up the four men. So I, I think Nunez is someone where unless he's shooting the lights out of everything and playing good enough defense, he's probably someone who I think is just outside the rotation. Right. I think DeJulius, okay. yeah. I'd be curious. Eli Brooks is one to watch, too. I agree. I've been saying that. The whole, I feel that way the whole time. That's the other thing. That's why I say we agree on Johns and, and Iggy as immediate impact guys with DeJulius probably being the third, but I don't think it's a guarantee, though. Like, yeah. 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 Well, no. I think Castleton Davis will be an interesting. It'll be a nice. It'll be an interesting contrast of styles, and it'll. I'll be curious to see because you know they were practicing Isaiah Livers at the five two. You know, does Michigan try to really go all out with this athletic small ball deal, or do they go with a little bit more of a traditional big like uh, Teske or Davis? I mean, they have they have some options, which I guess is one thing to keep an eye on. But our our next question has to do with who's going to make the biggest leap, or who should. So, so both who who needs to for Michigan to be successful, and then who do we actually think will? And so there's three names that I really jump out as me as guys who, if they have a good year in Camp Sanderson, they could really be something to behold this year. And that's Jordan Poole, as you mentioned, Isaiah Livers, and Austin Davis. You know, a good a good Camp Sanderson from one of those three or two of those three. I think Michigan you know, all this top 15 hype they're getting, I think it's real if, if that happens. So, uh, you know, I, I'll, I'll talk about Livers. You can talk about Poole or Davis if you want or whoever else. But Livers to me is the most important. I think that's why Beeline spent more one-on-one time with him than anyone else this year because you just watched him and kind of the way he glides defensively. I mean, that game that he played against Vince Edwards where he came in and relieved Duncan Robinson in the second half and basically played 20 minutes of just about flawless basketball against one of the top, you know, power forwards in the country. Uh, it was a sight to behold, you know, the way he can glide defensively, his footwork, you know, it, you could see throughout the season that he got a lot smarter about his defense. You know, he's not a foul guy. He's not going to, you know, have too many blow buys. And, and so I think, you know, if you can refine his offensive game and get him to be a little bit more aggressive, he's an aggressive rebounder. He's not aggressive, in other components of his game, he'll even admit that. I mean, I talked to him like, so what's the difference between being aggressive and rebounding and being aggressive and scoring? He's like, I'm still trying to figure that out. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, so so to me, he's someone, you know, you get maybe five or ten pounds on him, sculpt, you know, make him more muscular. Uh, you know, not like Camp Sanderson's like this clay artist, but like, you know, you get him you get him to the point where he's winning some of these post-up battles or on a 50-50 ball. He's the the big bully instead of the guy getting pushed around a little bit, I think you've got maybe an all big 10 power forward, maybe not first team, but you know, one of the three or four guys that named named all big 10. I think, I think he could be in that conversation, but you, you think Jordan Poole? I mean, I think you've said, you think he can be an all American, all big 10 player. 
uh, I guess what what would you be looking at for him or anybody else on this team heading into the off season? Yeah, I mean, I agree fully on Livers. Uh, I think Ace over at MGO Blog did a pretty good piece on his low usage rate offensively and how, in a way, is almost a little bit concerning uh, just at how unaggressive he was uh, on the offensive side of the ball. You just, you know, that's something he's going to have to work on and whether it's like you said, he's, he's, he's aware of it though, which is half the battle. So well, and part so of it t- before people panic about him, the four has traditionally been the position. I mean, I remember people were mad that Glenn Robinson wasn't aggressive enough and DJ Wilson wasn't getting enough shots in a game. Part of it is just like Michigan beeline does not traditionally run plays through his four man. And so that will be something that livers is going to have to change his mind. Kind of like what DJ Wilson started to do. He's going to have to get in there and say, no, 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 I, I'm going to score 10 points a game. Trust me. Right. So, yeah, they're aware. And again, he, he and that's the thing is like the low usage rate, but I thought he was effective offensively when he asserted himself. It's not as if he was, you know, unassertive because of a lack of ability or, you know, uh, the skill uh, to be effective. So, um, but with Poole, I think for him, the biggest thing is just going to be getting, becoming bigger, get it building a little more bulk for the, on the defensive for what he can do on the defensive end. Um, Cause that's really where I think you could see with him offensively. I think we talked a little bit, kind of reminded me of Levert when Levert was young. I know we talked about this as kind of like, you could see it, but he was just a little out of control, like just kind of like still learning his, um, you know, maybe with pool, maybe more than Levert trying to do a little bit too much sometimes, but just kind of getting a feel for that, just push and pull uh, offensively, you know, but defensively is just where there's a lot of improvement needed. So, you know, that I think was where his big benefit will be on the camp Sanderson side of things. And for any big man like Davis, I mean, that's, just a continual process for, uh, again, I think mostly defensive, but, you know, we haven't really gotten to see much of Davis on either side of the ball uh, to, to really know what they've got there yet. So whether it's physical with him or if it's still a skill thing or developing some skill set. I think, you know, this is Davis. Package. Yeah, I'm talking about Davis, yeah. Yeah, I think uh, the biggest thing is he needs to be faster. And that was that was Teske's hurdle too, is he was just like a step behind, and like that makes him look bad defensively. Like he's not a bad defender, but if he's like missing out on that first step or missing out on that angle, you know, I mean, think about like Mo Wagner versus Isaac Haas. That's what a lot of it's going to look like if you're not, like if if Mo Wagner meets him five feet further from the basket, Isaac Haas isn't going to score. But it's about you know reading it and making sure that you get there at the right time. Feel feel like he did not do so badly in the season, though. I mean, he had he had a good block rate, got a lot of rebounds, fouls were a concern, but I think some of that was just like being new to college basketball. Like it was kind of, I thought he was almost better than Teskey was when Teskey was a freshman. I know Davis was a redshirt freshman, but feel like there's a feel like there's an avenue to success for both of them, and there's there's obviously a lot of precedent. Jared Utoff what Frank Kaminsky um, trying to think of some of the other guys. I always, I always keep forgetting about them, but you know, this would not be the first big 10 big men to surge as juniors and seniors. Jordan Morgan. 
Yeah. No, I mean, that's no, it's expected. I mean, that's the thing is like, regardless of what we have seen or what we believe, like they've, the track record is just so there at this point. You almost just kind of trust blindly trust like what they're going to do, you know? And so Davis is sticking around, which I know I think people were questioning whether or not he was going to stick around. He comes out and says he's staying and he's not going anywhere. This is where he wants to be. And this is, he's going to keep working to me. That says there's a good chance he ends up contributing in some capacity. I mean, when's the last time a guy stayed all four years under scholarship who didn't end up producing in some capacity? For <laughs> well, him? the list of people who have actually done that is pretty small. Right. I was thinking, well, yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, you mean usually it's known by then or not? Well, I was just, I mean, this is a stat I thought about tweeting it out. There's only been four, or I'm sorry, three players since 2000, since Jordan Morgan. There's only been three players, so like the last six recruiting classes or seven recruiting classes who have stayed for four years. And that's Karis LeVert, Spike Albrecht, and Muhammad Ali Abdurrahman. Everyone else played, they either transferred in, transferred out, left the team, went for the NBA early. Like It's actually quite rare for someone to play for years. And so generally we, speaking, they do pretty well. I was going to say the hit rate is pretty high, though. So, yeah. <laughs> so it lends itself, it lends, it lends to be, the belief that, I mean, I guess if it wasn't in the cards... Just like in football, don't they usually sit down and have a conversation, right? Right. You know, well, and that's what happened with Ibby. I don't know. I, I assume the conversation with Ibby Watson was, hey, Ibby, here's where we see you on the depth chart after two years. Here's what you can do better. Here's you know, how we plan to use you last, next year. And Ibby said, okay, I think I'll take my chances somewhere else. You know, Because you know, maybe he wants to play more. Maybe he wants a different opportunity. Right. Maybe he wants a reset. Can't blame him. Can't blame anybody no. for, for leaving but yeah, something went so, something happened in, with Davis, and I know Davis grew up a Michigan fan and everything. But something in that conversation led him to believe that he can do something here, right? So, and that's where we that's where we lean towards the fact that that you almost have to believe that he will find something just based on that track record that we talked about. That's kind of what I was. Yeah, when well, they didn't so. go after, they, I mean, so far of all the recruits and transfer rumors we've seen, none have been centers. So either Colin Castleton, Austin Davis, or both of them have Michigan feeling pretty good about where they're at in their center, you know, pool. Like they're not going to bring somebody in to try to replace them. They like right. what they have. So, so yeah. Final question for the off season, and this is kind of a, a cheapy because we get asked this all the time. But how much, how good can Michigan become this summer? You know, is is it is is Final Four a realistic? bar to set is sweet 16 realistic do you think they can become the big 10 favorites do you think they can become you know big 10 top three where do you sit as far as expectations for next season right now and then also how that can change based on how this summer goes i mean i don't i don't know how you can't have the expectation that they could easily win the big 10 next year not saying they'd run away with it i'm just saying the fact that they very easily could be that team at the top of the pile at the end of the year. Again, with with what they bring back, with what they bring in, um, you know, I just I think that there there's a chance for them to make a nice little run here the next couple of years uh, and continue to build off of it. So, um, 
top three, yeah, I mean, again, whether that plays out that way or not, but just on paper going into next year, you can't not believe they're going to be one of the top three teams for sure. So um, whether whatever the summer has to do with it, I don't know. I mean, like I said, I think we're at the point now where you just kind of blindly trust what they're going to, how they're going to work. And Someone think, will step up is what you're, yeah. Yeah, just, yeah, it's, it's, it's happened. When's the last time it didn't happen? Uh, and I think with some of these guys, there's more, like you look at Rockman and then you look at Poole. I think Poole's just got more pure talent for sure, right? And so like the odds of him making a leap, a maybe bigger leap, and then making it faster are higher. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I think you have to look at stuff like that. Um, I'm interested. I mean, what about this summer? Yeah, it's, it's like I said, you just kind of take, I just kind of wait, you know, and this could be another team where maybe coming out of the gates, they don't come out firing immediately, just like last year with, you know, just a lot of moving parts, a lot of guys kind of getting a feel for things. But overall, um, again, I think this is a team, I think they're going to contend for the big 10 from the outset though. I don't think it's going to be like, just this, this last year where they really started to play good ball late January into February uh, and kind of, you know, make a run based off of that. I think they're going to be a team that's going to come out good. And then like every beeline team at Michigan is going to get better as the season goes on. I just don't think that the initial struggles will be as bad as they were to begin. Not that they were like bad necessarily, but you know what I mean. Yeah, like the, they didn't the, look like a Final Four team. <laughs> they didn't no, look like a team that was not. raising a banner. Right. It's kind of like a no. Sweet Sixteen deal. Right. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. I think, I think, honestly, I think they're going to start out hotter. But I, my question is, I think there's going to be a lull at some point. You know, they're gonna they're gonna hit a wall and they're gonna play some teams and they're not going to do so well. And that's that's where I think some of these questions do have to be answered because you are going to need, you know, we can we can talk about how we think, you know, Ignis Brzezdikis and Brandon Johns are going to step up, but there's going to hit hit a point in the season where they are going to have to step up and they are going to have to be, you know, the real deal as opposed to maybe a typical freshman who who maybe isn't contributing as much and and so they are going to have to step up and I think at some point in the season. You know, if it's not Brandon Johns, Isaiah Livers, or Jordan Poole, they're going to have to start playing like budding all Big Ten players, or else you, you, your ceiling kind of lowers. And and like we said, we assume Charles Matthews will come back. Certainly can't blame him one bit if he goes. I know he's someone that was, it was always kind of something he'd wanted to do. He's worked really hard. He got a lot better. Uh, so if he goes, he goes. And then suddenly you have to. You know, you definitely have to answer some of the other questions. If you can't answer it with Charles Matthews coming back, you are going to have to look at some of these other players and say, okay, who's stepping up? Uh, but as far as expectations, I would, I would think top three in the Big Ten is safe. I think if they get Matthews back, I and it kind of depends on who else comes back for some of the other teams. But I think you could cautiously put them as the favorite. Maybe Michigan State's in there. Maybe I mean Purdue's always going to be pretty good. Iowa brings back the entire planet. Um, Maryland will be pretty good. They recruit well, and they're they're going to be healthy again. But I would think Michigan might be the favorite as for the NCAA tournament, or like what kind of, you know, are they going to be a top 15 team, top 10 team, top 5 team? I think. Hey. Oh. Breaking news. It has to do with basketball. We could cover this real quick if you want. I'm not trying to interrupt you. Sure. Is it going to throw me off of everything? 
<laughs> no, they just released the conference opponent breakdown. Oh, for All next right. year. So if I can read very quickly. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Michigan fans will be happy. We'll do this very quick, but I think it's interesting. They get Nebraska, Ohio State, and Purdue at home only. Okay. Their away only games are at Illinois, at Iowa, and at Rutgers. Wow. And then they get the rest of the so Indiana, Maryland, MSU, Minnesota, Northwestern, Penn State, Wisconsin. They get home and away. Wow. So they get they so they, they got the best they, deal. Yeah, they get the Michigan State treatment from last year. They get a really favorable home schedule uh, or home and away schedule for the for the season. So I only mentioned I only brought it up because we literally just got the email and B we're talking about their chances of winning the conference. Yeah, next year. I mean with that schedule. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's going to be one. Of the, I think it's going to be a down Big Ten again a little bit. So you are going to have to, you know, win just about all of your game. I mean, you can only lose two or three or four if you want to have a shot. But certainly, certainly possible if a lot of these questions are answered the way we think they can be. But anyway, we've gone on long enough. Uh, obviously, if you want us to talk football, basketball, recruiting any week, uh, if you want have a topic you want us to discuss or something you want answered, shoot it our way it can be short it can be long uh it certainly helps drive the show otherwise we'll just keep picking our own stuff and and talking about it all summer but this has been the wolverine 24 7 podcast check out all of our stories at the michiganinsider.com 247sports.com slash michigan uh we write a lot more than we podcast but i'm your host zach shaw steve lorenz on the line and that's going to do it for the show hope you had fun hope you learned something and we'll see you next time